Hello, fellow OCD warriors. I'm Christina Orlova, your host on the OCD Whisperer podcast, your trusted companion in the battle against OCD. If you're like me and understand the struggles of living with OCD, then you're in the right place. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to tell you about something incredible. Get your OCD survival kit today at www.onlineocdacademy.com. It's filled with amazing resources to aid you in all things OCD, whether you're on a tight budget or just looking to supercharge your progress. Now, enjoy the show. Welcome to OCD Whisperer Show. Today with me, I have Justin Hughes, who is a licensed professional counselor, owner of Dallas Counseling, and he is a clinician and a writer passionate about helping those impacted by OCD. He serves on the IOCDF's OCD and Faith Task Force and is a Dallas ambassador for OCD Texas. Working with a diversity of clients, he also is dual trained in psychology and theology, regularly helping anyone to understand the interaction between faith and OCD, most commonly Christians. You can check out his website, justinhughes.com, to stay in the loop and get free guides and handouts. Welcome to the show. Christina Orlova. <laughs> You're famous. <laughs> I don't know. You know, yeah, I don't know about that. I still don't believe it, but it's it's nice to hear sometimes that people might reference like, oh, I know your podcast. I'm like, really? Thanks. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting, especially in this world of advocacy. And like when I was at the conference and, and got to see you in San Francisco just a month ago, a couple months ago, a lot of people would come up and I'm just so humbled and so honored. Like, I don't have a huge following on Instagram right now. I'm like, you know, just shy of 2000 people. And yeah, people are like, oh yeah, you've got your stuff out there. And I'm like, yeah, like I do some memes and I have some blog posts. And so, but <laughs> it's so cool. So yeah. Right. No, you're, yeah, exactly. You're, I'm like, you're famous. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, I, okay, maybe I guess, you know, you don't know what sure. you don't know, but yeah, I mean, all good. Well, the thing is when you and I actually met, so which bring, brings us to, you know, the episode today is yeah. I don't think I've quite had an episode where we can really kind of target and, and hone in on one specific kind of uh, subtype for scrupulosity and faith-based OCD. Like you mentioned yeah. with, you know, you work with a Christian population. So, yeah. mm -hmm. you know, with anybody listening right now, I guess the first broader question, of course, is can we just touch base on, you know, what is scrupulosity or faith-based OCD? Absolutely. And that's the place to start when we're talking about these things. So OCD, intrusive, unwanted thoughts, urges, images, impulses that are distressing, recurrent uh, compulsions or those attempts to manage, seek relief, uh, stop them through ritualistic uh, responses, checking, uh, reassurance, rumination, uh, etc., uh, it's ego dystonic at the end of the day, it sure would be nice to get rid of these, but because they're here, I fall into these patterns again and again and again to make these uncomfortable, uh, things go away. And there's talk these days about, is it intrusive thoughts or, you know, is it, uh, uh, inferential oh, blanking? I don't know. I see confusion. Yeah. Yeah. Confusion. Exactly. Well, regardless, there is this uncomfortable experience, right. And try to make it go away. So what is scrupulosity? Scrupulosity is OCD, OCD, people with OCD, number of folks, uh, and especially throughout history, have had scrupulosity. It's when OCD focuses on moral, spiritual, religious concerns, faith concerns, and uh, need not surprise us because OCD is the master of 
uh, switching themes, bouncing around to different things. If I can be obsessive about a relationship, uh, if and I can be obsessive about contamination, then why would I be surprised that uh, matters of faith and spirituality would come up? Uh, because they do. So that's just kind of the quick rundown off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, no, that's I think that's really great to kind of remind folks. I think a lot of us in this in the space do say, you know, OCD is OCD and let's treat the disorder and mm-hmm. and kind of recognize whatever the hot topic of the hour is. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like, yeah, but at the same time, yeah. not even, but and at the same time, knowing some of the themes or subtypes can be helpful just to recognize like, oh yeah, wait a yeah. second, that is happening. So yeah. with that, yeah. like, can you give us some examples of what might it sound like if somebody's experiencing that when they're listening Absolutely. today? Absolutely. Yeah. What if I'm not saved? What if I didn't say the prayer right? What if something bad happens? Uh, well, will God forgive me? What if I believe the wrong religion? <laughs> so a lot of what if questions, concerns, uh, doubts, fears, and it can really merge with other things too. Uh, a lot of clients that will talk about uh, contamination merging, where at first it sounds like, oh, if, if they go to their doctor and they say, yeah, I do one hour showers at the end of the day and I wash my hands uh, repetitively, it would be easy to label it as classic contamination based OCD. But if the function of it is because I have these bad thoughts that, and sometimes it shows up as those more tra- seen as traditionally harm based thoughts, like um, more of a violent intrusion. But if the nature of it is towards a Jesus or thought of uh, thought of someone else or a saint or, or whatever else, um, people will sometimes find themselves intentionally and unintentionally merging with uh, other types of compulsive behaviors that might fit into a subtype theme uh, considered quite separate from scrupulosity, like showering, washing, neutralizing, et cetera. So it can cross over in very direct and indirect ways altogether. Yeah, that's actually really interesting. And and that's a good clarification point, right? Like understanding what's the purpose of what you're doing. Because if you're showering longer, but it's not really because you're trying to decontaminate, but maybe because more you're using water as like a way to wash away. Ritualistic cleansing. Yeah. Right. Sins, purification. Exactly. Like that's different. But if you don't ask, you might not know. So, and you also said something that I know anybody listening, and I certainly know I've heard this before, right? When you get intrusive, even images, you know, like Jesus or Mary or, or a saint mm-hmm. or anything like that. Like, you know, that could be, mm-hmm. you know, sexual nature or, or it could mm-hmm. be aggressive mm-hmm. in nature. Right. And yeah. you know, kind of yeah. thinking, Oh my God, like this, like, does this make me a terrible person? What mm-hmm. would you say to that? No, <laughs> welcome, <laughs> welcome to the club. <laughs> uh, that's interesting. And especially as you're asking for the Christian take on it. One of the things that I'll say is that Christianity is going to kind of say yes. <laughs> if we're looking at like original sin, fallen nature of, of man. Uh, but that's actually, by the way, one of the ways where those who aren't tuned in with OCD miss the mark because it can be seen as a opportunity for a theological home run <laughs> with a point that doesn't even need to be made. Because <laughs> most of the time, the person with OCD is in my experience, usually pretty clear about the perspective. What they're trying to get clear on is the feeling and the fact that it feels uh, like they're in a bad place. So yeah, we can start out 
validating as a part of values, like Orthodox Christianity is going to say, okay, you know, what is the state of man? It's in a fallen state. We say that's because of, of sin. And that can be direct or indirect. Even cancer may not be a direct result of one person, but actually being in a, a fallen, broken world. And so if people try to hit this theological home run of driving home a point, they're going to miss the point <laughs> that, that might be behind that question, that if a person's asking that question in relation to, am I some sort of a weirdo because I have these uh, sort of thoughts? No, <laughs> not generally, and certainly not with OCD. I definitely am kind of thinking as we're talking for just a couple of people come to mind that I've even myself had seen in my own practice where there would be a lot of kind of getting stuck at that juncture, right? Of this whole concept of, am I going to go to hell? Am I a mm-hmm. sinner? Mm-hmm. Am I, you know, I shouldn't have these thoughts. You know, I pray so hard to not have these thoughts. I, mm-hmm. I focus so hard to always do the right thing and, and, you know, mm-hmm. really act in these almost perfect idealized ways. And, of course, you know, what you really hear also is people seeing how exhausted they are and, mm-hmm. you know, the amount of mm-hmm. frustration and and yeah. intensity, right? And, and real, obviously, feelings of, you know, anxiety and, and anger and sadness and, and sometimes kind of losing some hope and, and having a hard time to wrap their brain around, you know, you are telling me mm-hmm. that the, the treatment is that I'd have to do what? Like, you'd want me to have <laughs> yeah. some of these thoughts on purpose or... Yeah. you know, go and speak the name of like the one entity that I don't want or the place I don't want to go to like yeah. hell. Yeah. And yeah. right. And yeah. so, you know, it's almost like there's, there, there's this internal, a lot of internal conflict with this, right? Because again, like you said, part of it is when you understand globally, you know, you're raised with, with this religious beliefs and, you know, it's part of also it's just your faith, your identity, your values, you know, and then here comes OCD and, and starts to have you doubt and question everything to such a you know deep place where you start to, mm-hmm. what I see often, of course, is people questioning themselves mm-hmm. right at the core. Like, what would you say to somebody who's listening right now and kind of grappling with this? Because I, I that's just such a common mm-hmm. question that I get mm-hmm. and that I see out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I really just want to you know hear kind of how other people mm-hmm. view that and, and kind of how would you help somebody maybe redefine that or yeah. Or get a different relationship with that part. Yeah, definitely. I mean, first of all, there's hope. You're not alone. There's help. Many, many, many are walking this road currently, and many have done it before. And no matter how alone it feels, that you're not alone. And I find myself repeating that. And sometimes because I'm a creative person, I like to think of different ways of using words and so forth. I'm like, "Ah, I'm kind of bored by saying the same thing over, but I need to say that over. And people, I think, need to hear that. First of all, they're not unusual, unless we're thinking of, you know, not average uh, statistically, then, okay, well, all people have all sorts of different thoughts that come up at different points, but those who have OCD experience them in some unique ways. But even that, right? is two, 300 million people worldwide <laughs> that experience mm-hmm. it this way. That's a lot. That's almost the whole yeah. population of the U.S. that at some point between now and when they die will have OCD. That's a lot, yeah. Yeah, that's, so you're not alone. There's hope and there's, there's treatments. I want to start, start there. So coming back to the question, is it that question of, somebody wrestling with 
how do I know for sure that, that I'm saved or it, can you can you repeat the yeah kind of the yeah so the question really is about more grappling like okay like how can I go into something especially when people are talking about like ERP work right or ERP and acceptance mm-hmm. commitment therapy right because uh, I, I, I like that yeah. you know combination especially when we're when we're having to say hey let's redefine this through the lens of willingness and values and mm-hmm. looking at you know how can we get better at also mm-hmm. sometimes having difficult experiences because in life whether you have OCD or not you're yeah. going to have challenges and difficult yeah. experiences. Like that's just part of life, right? Like that's yeah. that's not an abnormal component. But when people are specifically with faith-based, you know, they can get really honed in on this concept of I'm this horrible, terrible person, yep. right? And I like, there's no way that, you know, you're telling me like with, even with acceptance commitment or exposure work, like you want me to, you know, go into and say the bad thoughts or ha- yeah. allow the images, the bad, you know, images with, like the figures that I actually want to pray to, or, you know, or mm-hmm. words like Satan or hell, right? Like all of that yep, becomes yep. really <laughs> such hot topics that it's like, oh, so yeah. like that, that's a piece that, you know, what, again, how can you help somebody yeah. kind of wrap their brain yes. around yep. that? Right. Yeah. Good. So one step at a time, but first of all, I could ask a person the question, are you willing to be honest? Are you willing to be truthful? And especially from a Christian ethics standpoint, I mean, if we're talking about scriptures, like <laughs> we're saying, hey, is, is honesty, is telling the truth actually part of your ethic? And you know, most aren't going to deny that, at least <laughs> on the surface. Will, will you be honest? Because here's the thing. If we have thoughts, it's happening in our brain. It's there. It's there already, <laughs> right? And if the person thinks that, I've somehow generated this thought. What does this mean? Okay, well, can you be honest that you think that you have this thought or it's sitting there or you're not sure if you generated this or if it's random or intrusive? Like, so I think the starting point is, uh, in back with the CBT skill of tracking or monitoring, it's just getting honest, it's shining light on it. It's, it's truth. Uh, and in fact, a lot of people or maybe not a lot, but I've come across some instances where there's been this argument against exposure, doing something that we call proof texting scripture, where it's just pulling out a verse at random and using it however you want, which if there's an abuse or if there's a problem, <laughs> almost always when it's quoting scriptures, in my mind, it's going to be because of proof texting. So taking something out of context. So here's an example, Philippians 4, 8 in the Bible says, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Kind of cool. Um, I think a lot of people in the non-Christians might be like, oh, nice, cool. A little positive psychology there. That's it. You know, there's a whole context to that passage too, uh, which talks a lot about anxiety, by the way, in Philippians 4. But a lot of people will use that as an argument against exposure. I use it as an argument for exposure. Because the person that is supposed to have charity or mercy towards the, the impoverished child, the, the orphan, the widow, which the Bible says is true religion to care for widows and orphans in their need. Well, so if that's the case, I have to think about some grim stuff. I have to think about some tough stuff. If I 
there's been a lot of recent talk and even through a movie as well about trafficking and sex trafficking. Okay, so if I'm going to do things and make investments to uh, to make this stop, to help people in need, et cetera, I'm going to have to think about gritty, nasty, awful stuff. And frankly, that's it's not for everyone. But the unfortunate part of OCD is that, uh, and I say this with the utmost compassion, if you have OCD, you didn't get the choice per se of what sort of thoughts would just be popping up like crazy. But now that we're there, it's kind of like the person that's subjected to a trauma. Most people are not choosing those circumstances. Right. But now that we're here, let's go ahead and face those. And a lot of the same things that are really effective in trauma treatment, which by the way, exposure is one of the first line treatments for trauma, is to look it square in the face. And so part of the rationale that I use with clients coming in and in my writings as well is that this really is just a subset of getting honest, being truthful. And first two main principles, I'm not going to ask any person to do anything that they're unwilling. It's a consent issue. It's a respect issue uh, right off the bat. So, you know, if you tell me, screw you, Justin, <laughs> I'm be like, all right, You're like, no, forget this. Like I am out. I, I get it. And maybe I'm not the greatest fit, but beyond just the willingness side of things is a person willing to just get really, really honest. And, and we start there. We don't have to blast it out of the water with just some wild exposure that we heard about or read about in a book because everybody gets a little scared when they read certain books. And some of you all know exactly which books I'm referencing. Not bad books, not bad people. They're some of my favorites. They're on my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they really scare people. And here's the thing. Exposure is always contextual. It's the wrong exposure if it's not fitting the person. And so it really has to work with what is the fear? What is the concern for the person? And I'm just going to start with what is the most basic level of labeling that, acknowledging that. And frankly, that's a first exposure (laughs) because most people are avoiding doing that. And so getting out of that avoidance and suppression is part of the ERP. I'm going to actually open my posture and be able to say, okay. It's this thing. Or I, I can't tell you the words for it, Justin, but I'm I'm concerned if I say something aloud that maybe it's going to come true. Thank you for your first exposure and response prevention, sitting with it with me. And that's it's just one of the ways that, that I'll go. There's a lot of creative ways to uh, to target these things, but at the heart of it, I think, is just getting honest. Am I willing to honestly face the reality that is happening, including the material, the content that comes up in my brain. Yeah, I think you just answered another question I had because I know you said the the word, you know, being truthful and honest, and and I was listening to for myself even understand a little bit more. And and it sounds like what you're saying is exactly that. If you if I could just commit to being honest about what is happening for mm-hmm. me right now, like this is mm-hmm. it, it's here, instead of you know trying to deny it. Yeah. rejected or whatever else we try to do to try to try to somehow will it or wish it away. It's like, yeah. no, it's here. It's happening. Okay. So now what, right? So that we can then actually look at the next steps. And the biggest thing that I'm also taking away is, you know, how can you incrementally, um, especially mm-hmm. if things are really that, that difficult, but how can you just with literally one little small step, 
going to start to give up and get away from doing so much of the avoidance behaviors. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. And just allow yourself to, like you said, first, it's just, let's just acknowledge yep. what's happening and then kind of go from there. Absolutely. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've had some cases where I've perceived my best guess that I'm in several cases think is, is right, but it could be wrong. <laughs> uh, and then in several cases that I was thinking that this was the case and they ended up returning back to my practice, especially with scrupulosity. And I see this probably more so in young people and teens when there's a scrupulous and sometimes superstitious obsession base there's often this freeze dynamic of the fight, flight, freeze paradigm of fear in the most extreme form. I'm never even going to see that person because they just can't show up to a therapy session. Because if they show up to a therapy session, what am I going to have to do this? What does this mean? Et cetera. And so sometimes, and especially with teens, they have a parent <laughs> often <laughs> forcing them through the door. And I've seen that where if, if it appears fairly obvious that there are rumblings under the surface that the person says, yeah, it's, it's fine, it's fine. Or maybe there's some other things, but I don't want to talk about it. Oftentimes I see that in my experience, most commonly with scrupulous, scrupulous and superstitious obsessions because of that concern, that, that immediacy of somehow if I just say it, somehow if I think it, and living in this constant avoidance and suppression, which can lead to incredible disability. And though I think the starting point for us is to say that OCD is OCD is OCD, it's also really important that we acknowledge those unique nuances in the fact that there tends to be higher, uh, in the clinical world, we call it overvalued ideation, which means I'm really, really concerned. I really think this is true, which takes more time to work with. It takes, it takes more support, have to move slower typically speaking. Um, so in my experience, if I took the average person struggling with scrupulosity versus the average person struggling with harm OCD, you know, 12 to 15 sessions for harm, uh, they're going to be in a pretty good spot on average. With scrupulosity, I'm going to say that's probably closer to 25 to 30 easily on average. It's the same animal, but it's, it's different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think where we start to get into the whole like morality, what's good, right, wrong, et cetera. And I mean, mm -hmm. all of us as humans, right, we want to be, well, this is a blanket statement, but I'll just say generally, most of us want to do good and feel good. And yeah. in general, right, I would say most yeah. of us, most of the time are not out there like, yeah, I want to actually go kill somebody like <laughs> right. Like we're not, we generally don't operate that way. Right. We're generally like, no, I like, I want to, right. I want to, whether it's for myself or my friends or my family, whoever your loved ones are, right. Like we want to spend time with those people. We want to experience things in life. Right. We want to move forward. So, you know, absolutely. I think when something like scrupulosity and or even morality I'll, I'll throw in there right shows up at your doorstep i mean mm -hmm. it is paralyzing because mm -hmm. it, it starts to go at, at, to this core identity right and and we we see mm -hmm. that a lot with ocd where where people really start to question their core sense of self yeah yeah, yeah. Um, and i think that time is a huge factor too that at least with uh, talking about the nuance of some of the difficulties with scrupulosity, I don't think scrupulosity is worse than contamination. I don't think contamination is worse than scrupulosity. <laughs> it, just, it is what it is. But one of the ways that's tricky is I can usually buy time with the person who struggles with uh, contamination uh, obsession when we're 
uh, touch in that bathroom stall, <laughs> the person, at least several sessions in, can give it 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. But when the obsession is that you just thought this blasphemous thoughts, and let's say on the Christian side of things, blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, and sometimes even just reading that Bible passage that talks about that, which uh, for those uh, of the audience that uh, isn't Christian, it's just kind of one of the the sharpest examples and one of the very few examples in the New Testament where Jesus uh, was really direct about those who had rejected God entirely and how there, in essence, wasn't any hope for them because they've rejected God entirely, <laughs> not partially, not temporarily. And so, of course, <laughs> what does a person who's really fearful is thinking about? It's going to be like, how could I have done it? And so, if it's paired with what if I take God's name in vain, for example, that's come up in my practice. But what if I just say the phrase blasphemy of the Holy Spirit or something? And, and what if I have anger when I say that or, or, or whatever? Well, early on, it's it takes a lot of rationale and a lot of education, a lot of support of the person, um, often, unless if they're kind of preloaded, as, as I like to say, and just ready to go. But it takes just, just some patience, just some support. To, to take longer if needed. I get it. That if, if it could happen in a second, I'm not going uh, to want to do that. And so we just really have to work, uh, work slowly. But we're also going to want to get to the place where we can go as far as any person who doesn't have OCD goes. And I like to say a yard further to speak in terms of, of football. So to win the game, right? To, to tie, I just have to go as far as the other team. To win the game, all I have to do, well, I guess in football is you know, get <laughs> field goal or touchdown or safety. But let's say it's a yard further to, to do that. And that's where folks really struggle. But uh, I think we do a disservice by <laughs> sometimes in advocacy sharing all these like wild examples that us as clinicians, we just get bored with the <laughs> more straightforward stuff. And so it's like, yeah, you know, man, when I was eating off of the toilet seat and uh, I was doing this, it's like, okay, the average person doesn't need to think I have to do this to get recovered. And so same with scrupulosity, it all is going to depend. And I think it starts with, okay, are you, are you willing to be honest about what's going on? Can you show up just one step at a time and we'll go from there? Yeah. And I mean, it's like when I hear that, it's like, yeah, this is how you build trust for yourself in the process. And mm -hmm. it's a journey and recovery is a journey, too. I mean, having OCD, I have OCD. I'm pretty open about it. But like, yeah, you, it doesn't mean like triggers are completely gone. You're still living a life. So you're still you'll still get things showing up, but you can respond to things completely differently now. And, mm -hmm. and it really, mm -hmm. like I always say, short circuit the cycle of OCD. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much too, just for your vulnerability. You, you operate on a special platform because things that many of us as professionals, a lot of times can keep it at arm's length, right? And have our own personal life. Like I just admire so much uh, you and, and the other advocates that are doing double time on the professional and personal side. That's very sweet. But I mean, yeah, I think if, if you have it and you're open to, or you finally get opened up to sharing it it's you know it's just sharing stories which we do all the time anyway we all share stories mm -hmm. yeah. all the time right like yeah that's right so it's just hey this this happened and 
here's what you can have if you want, right? And yeah. people get to then decide, right? And we all resonate mm-hmm. with different people. Yeah. yeah, that's right. And maybe that's like OCD recovery, right? Uh, in a nutshell. I, I love that, Christina. Uh, here's what you can have if you want. Exactly. Exactly. It's not the same, but it's it's possible, right? And like you were you were saying earlier, which I, I'm a firm believer in, is is also finding community, right? Because I think quite often people feel so isolated, yep. and when you're having this experience and you don't know, you really think, "Oh my gosh, I'm the only one." Rationally, though, when you step back and you realize, "Wait a second, there's like over seven billion people on the planet Earth. There's no way, just mathematically, statistically, mm-hmm. there's just no way you're the only one." Right. But when you can actually really plug in and hear and and be around others, especially when we're talking about faith based OCD and specifically for the Christian community. Right. So making sure that you do plug into other other Christians who are, you know, who have OCD and who who can then kind of support you. So you could see that, you know, like, yeah, this is something that not only do I deal with, but others deal with, and then seeing how, you know, people can absolutely get better and continue to be, you know, to, to practice their faith and continue to have joy in their life and have a wonderful life. Right. And, and that, like you said, it's absolutely possible, just like everybody, you just got to take that, make that decision, take that chance to, you know, give yourself a chance. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That's absolutely right. Hmm. Well, um, for anybody who's listening to us today, how can people find you if they'd like to connect with you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so website, justinkhughes.com. Uh, there's a K in the middle. I think it's a Justin Hughes earlier. No worries. Justinkhughes.com. And uh, I'm on most socials uh, as well. So you can check it out. So Instagram most commonly. Uh, and then various advocacy efforts uh, around the area and OCD Texas and uh, OCD and faith conference now, uh, online and, uh, et cetera. So yeah. I love it. Well, let's put all of that in the show notes. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Thank you so much, Jason, for coming. Absolutely. Thank you, Christina. Thanks for joining us on the OCD Whisperer podcast. Remember your path to freedom from OCD. It's a journey. Visit www.onlineocdacademy.com for self-help masterclasses that fit your journey, your pace, and your budget. We understand that not everybody can afford a specialist, and that's why we're here to provide accessible resources. Subscribe, rate, and share, and together we can overcome the challenges of OCD. Stay strong, and we'll catch you on the next episode.